Yay, it's it's working great. Um, I wanted to do another podcast today, and I'm trying to do a couple things here. I, I'm doing two things at once. Probably not the best way to start a podcast. Uh, I'm not falling, kill myself too. I um, was was talking to a friend of mine <laughs> about about how they type type out their 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 writing you know, their poetry, especially with novels, I think it's kind of imperative that you have to have something um, based on how your, your, your mind works, how, how, how the mind, how the process goes. You have to have a process of some sort, whether it's writing a novel and having an outline, whether it's writing from the middle out, however it is, or writing poetry. So I'm, I'm going to really gear on poetry here. I gave up many years ago on Windows, and for a while I was really big on Mac, and I wanted, because Valerie had a MacBook, and I was like, ooh, I like MacBooks, you know, um, tried that out, and it, <laughs> both companies, I, I think I spend more time doing updates, uh, formatting, and whatever else, than I actually do writing. And it made me realize how much I was wasting my time on that. And I still have this to type it up on. I have to. But I was talking to Vika in a comment uh, about two weeks ago, maybe a week ago, with her artwork. And I've had this love in the past few months for fountain pens and fountain pen ink and it's it can become a very very expensive uh hobby i have a right here this this gold cross century that someone gave me i would <laughs> well this one actually belonged to my dad um and you can get thousands of dollars into some of this stuff but i i like i like the idea of of I'd gone from, I used to always do pen and ink work in uh, Sharpie. And I love Sharpies for that reason, especially the real fine ones, doing the real little dot stippling and all that. And as far as writing goes, I always did it in, uh, you know, the cheap Bic pens or the, the G2s. And I love G2s. Like, G2s to write with them are just awesome, you know. And then I ran into with G2s. If you sign a card, sometimes... I pay a lot of money for a card for somebody, and the card just, uh, the ink decides it's going to smear everywhere. So, uh, they were, after my grandmother passed away, and my uncle had been living there, and my uncle that had been living there had died, and I'd worked on this house, helping him out through the years, fixing things. Uh, we tore the, the, the part of the cellar out, and it was all trees that were hewn flat. And we found different artifacts. And every once in a while, you'd come across that. And I was left repairing this this part of a tree, looking at it and saying, wow, whoever built this really knew what the hell they were doing. And I, uh, there I go with the I am. You know, when, you, when you're given a podcast, you want to get, don't do and, I am. A, I, I found that... Uh, I really became inspired by the history of the house. And they were tearing on a wall 
and they found an envelope with a guy's name that built it. Or I assume he built it or had people build it for him. And I was like, wow. Lewis Craver. Lewis Craver was in Jennerstown, Pennsylvania, a saddle maker. He was a woodworker, and he, he built a lot of these, okay, these uh, houses. I'm looking through here right now trying to find my information. This is another reason you need some kind of a computer because to store all this stuff, especially like DNA files and that, um, you really can't do it on what devices I'd like to use. Uh, I like to use something Android-based or Apple that's a phone. And I'm shutting it down. <laughs> okay. Uh, if it's, nothing else works, turn it off, turn it back on. So... Lewis Craver, I did a lot of research, research on Lewis Craver. He was a uh, saddle maker. He was in the school board. He was very prominent, and I found his grave. But this, this envelope that was addressed to him was done with a, uh, it would have probably been a, been a dip pen, a calligraphy nib, um, not a fountain pen. But it got me into realizing, you know, hey, one of the most important things, the signatures, is, is writing by hand. And there's two philosophies to this. It's like, okay, you write on a computer screen. A man that was very ahead of his time was Jack Kerouac that wrote on telepath paper on a typewriter. He always felt that the, when you reach the end of a page, you end your thought. And he didn't like that. He wanted something where he could just type and go with it from there. And that's how I like to do my thoughts. I like my thoughts to be where they're flowing. I've written 15-page poems. I've written stories that are 400 pages myself. But you lose something on the screen. You have to have this thing plugged in with you everywhere. You have to have some way that you're taking it with you. And I, I like writing by hand for that reason because I get it slows you down a little bit. Where I can type very fast, very many words a minute. When I'm writing by hand, it's almost like it takes you back in time and it makes the process very important. But then you're stuck on that page. So you have to find a nice medium. I'm sure you'll be able to look through my writing if you've bought any of my books and see. I like to keep sometimes three to four to five stanzas small. Uh, when I was younger, I wrote on a computer screen, and I still do it. You'll see the longer ones, they were written on a com computer. And that's kind of sad that it comes down to that. It comes down to what's, what, what, what I'm using as a medium. Um, with the importance of that being, the old-time old, the old writers didn't do that. And I always wonder why. Did they have bigger paper? Did they Were they not trained mentally like we were from school, I imagine? Uh, psychologically predisposed to see that, hey... You have a homework assignment. It's one page. You do one page. You have this. It's one page. And you were, you were programmed to think that way. So now what I do is I have a notebook. And I try to keep a big notebook. And I do it by fountain pen. And I'll write out all this stuff as it comes to me. <laughs> and I'll have right before I have to submit it to my publisher. I always do this. Oh, Wow. It's all handwritten, and I have to type it up. So I'll type and type and type for like 
five hours straight if I get the chance until my hands literally do not work and I'm missing keys. And I'll take a break, let myself heal a little bit, uh, try not to be carpal tunnel, and I'll go back to typing and I'll proofread it again. And then I get to see where I want each piece to fit. And it's not just in that order of how it was written. Sometimes this might fit better here. Some of my poems go in an order. I think of the one that I wrote about Carl Jung in my red book, my The Last Mountain, where it goes on his psychological ideas, each poem having a Keller reference to them. Pretty nice and profound. The thing is, this is how I've devoted myself to my work. Many people will read it. They will not catch that depth of what I put into it. Those are little, again, as I said in my podcast last night, Easter eggs. Okay. So, I wanted to talk today about that. Just in reference to that, because I'm sitting here and I'm looking at a computer screen thinking that my first book was written on my way of saying uh, middle finger up at Microsoft and middle finger up at uh, Apple, which are two companies I love. But I wanted to cut the strings and I wrote my first book on a notepad type digital, and this is crazy, I did this. It's like, I wouldn't be able to do it now. And now I'd be like, wow, I'm not doing that. On a Amazon Fire phone, which was a phone was a nice little hybrid between the Kindle and the, the regular phone, and it was Android based. It wasn't based by Google because you couldn't do anything Google with it, which is kind of odd. But it wasn't Mac either. It was it was a nice little in between, and for a while it worked really well. I um, got the phone. This guy wanted to. Uh, you got a free year of Prime if you bought it. So what the guy did is he took the year of Prime off of it without even opening the phone. He sold it to me, and I thought I was going to get the year of Prime as well. And it was like, oh, wow, I just you know got one over on you. And I thought, oh, wow, well, I needed a phone. I didn't care about the year of Prime. But I wrote the entire thing on that. And what it's taught me is to adjust my mediums to what I'm working not to be dependent on this uh, surface that someone gave me to use or this phone or my fountain pen. Some of your best songs were written on toilet paper and napkins, okay? <laughs> Think about that. I love some of those old country songs. I'm sure a lot of them were written on... Uh, Guy sitting there having coffee, eggs, traveling, has a pencil with him, and he's writing on uh, a napkin. I can see Roger Miller, King of the Road. Oh, my God, I got this. Trailers for sale or rent, you know. Uh, the traveling is another aspect of it I miss because that, that, made, that gave you the grounds to be grounded to what you were actually doing and when I started out I'm 12 minutes in right now but this is my main point um, <coughs> I 
excuse me. I'm just having my coffee in the morning. And seasonal allergies are bad too. But uh, and we're living in a pandemic, so it's kind of like, well, okay, um, is this all the goldenrod I've been hiking through? But people ask me why I don't have a lot of money in the bank, and. That's something I've overlooked in my life, I'll admit that. I've, I've given so much back. Um, I've never been somebody that wanted more than I could ever need to pay the bills, do the things I want to do, and have a little bit of freedom. I've, I've never understood the people that let money build up in their bank account and have the big house and everything. And when you have the big house, you have to have the people to guard it and then you have to pay them and then you have to have the insurance and then you have to have the fancy uh doorbell ring and uh you, you name all that i've always been a minimalist and being a minimalist i realized something at an early age about getting involved in charities getting involved in things that were to me, important. And I want to talk about that today because I promised. I wanted to send a guy a birthday card. I didn't get the opportunity. I actually don't have his address. Brian Walsh, um, he's turning 40 today. And he's the founder of IMA, IMALS. Now, I, I've raised a lot of money for pancreatic cancer after my father passed away. And... Some of these charities kind of overlap. You meet people, and Brian's one of those people. He inspired me <clears throat> and a friend of mine. And everything, especially with his cause, ALS, which I have a friend that has it. I have a teacher, a very good friend of mine. And I saw how he was treated with lack of dignity. And I'm, I saw what Brian Walsh did, and he's an inspiration to me. His his life had a different course than mine. He, he went to college, as I did, but he got into becoming an attorney and a federal prosecutor, and a phenomenal one. I mean, when you, you looked at Brian Walsh, you saw somebody that uh, he kept justice honest, and he stood up for a little guy. He had, he had a moral code, and has a moral code that few, few people have. He's been a big help to me the past few months talking about another issue in my life. And he's approachable. He's not somebody that, despite all his horrible circumstances he's going to, won't, won't uh, help you out, even now. But Brian Walsh is... A man that he had, he had, he had a good job. He, he was he was working in the White House. He had people in the White. He, he had everything going for him. And the day that he brought his daughter home from the hospital, the day she was born, he found out that he had ALS. And all these symptoms he had had. It, it, you know, I imagine he was probably in denial thinking, I hope it's not this. And 
he starts thinking about the things that are going to happen. And he's got this amazing wife. You know, most I've had people that I've known that have had ALS and different diseases, and their spouse walks out on them. But Brian's wife didn't. She has been there for him 100% of the way. And I want to send a shout out to both of these two because today is his 40th birthday. And I always told him he would never live. This this, this is hard for me because I remember when I turned 40 and I thought, you know, it's a number. But to him, this is a big milestone. They told him he would never live to see 40. Think about that. Guy just brings his daughter home. And this is thrown on him. Did Brian give up? No. Brian started the charity I Am ALS. And I've always been pushing for this organization. Because it brings that dignity back. It brings that purpose. It, it, what he did is a lot of what... Carl Jung said to do a group of like-minded people to focus on the cause because if you give it up to the drug drug companies they're there to make a profit they're there to make a profit it's why a lot of ways I do the work I do for, for the historical society on cemeteries and history and uh, I, don't, I don't make any money because all my clients are people who lived 200 years ago but there's no money in it for these big companies, so they're not going to invest in it. Hospitals and doctors, I truly believe this, uh, want you on medication. They don't want something that's going to heal you. They want something that they can make money from. And Brian changed that. In a small way, it was a paradigm shift in life. People like my professor, Scott McGuire, uh, I think a few others. There's a cop in Kansas City. Um, her name will come to me. <laughs> I can't think of your name right now. I'm sorry. Um, Nasser Olson is her last name. Um there, there are a few people I've followed that really touched me and inspired me with their story. A friend of mine with that one, that uh, she'd done a cause for what is uh, Guns and Hoses for firemen and police. She was affiliated with the Kansas City Police. I'd seen this story through that, and Sarah Nasser Olson, I don't know her name now, uh, was one with ALS as well. You see these incredible people. My, my professor, Squat, Scott McGuire, when I was in high school, he was, this guy had the dark widow's peak. He was tall, handsome, beard. I mean, goatee. I mean, the guy, all the girls, all the girls were like, he was the hot teacher to the girls, you know. <laughs> and Scott Scott was made, made science fun. We had an item for two years. And his uh, final was to watch Jurassic Park and, Give your thoughts on it. And it was very, it wasn't like, oh, this is going to be a, a week final. It was like, he really wanted you to think. And he would point out something that, uh, well, I worked with him on uh, Capstone as well, cleaning up streams. 
he would make it to where it was relevant in your life. And you would watch a movie like Jurassic Park. You would start thinking about science. It opens your mind up to be creative, not just to do this test that you're not going to remember 10 minutes after you leave. He wanted to make it real, and Scott was loved for that. Scott always treated his students with kindness and dignity, and uh, one of the greatest human beings I've ever met in my life. So I graduated and found out that Scott had had ALS. And it upset me. It upset me because he was a good person. He had, didn't have a full-time teaching job there. I had a couple of people from the school board that I knew that mentioned it to me. And I stopped and looked at them indignantly and said, You know, this guy is one of your greatest teachers you have. And... I stood up for him because I love the guy. I really love Scott. Scott is, is, is still a great person. I recently went on playing poker online, and he's, he's great. He's, he beat me. He was always the best. And for almost 20 years, he's had ALS. He was at a point where a caregiver was abusive to him. You, you can watch a video... Look it up, Scott McGuire. And it'll make you cry. It'll make you cry because it'll make you realize how strong of a human being he is. How basic things for people with ALS, the ability to speak through a computer, the ability to have the treatments, the ability, are, are so important. That little bit of funding that's, that's given, the little bit you give does go a long way for IMALS and different charities like that. Uh, the companies that have donated equipment goes a long way. And we're all pushing for that thing with all these, all these charities, be it pancreatic cancer, be it ALS, be it, be it any breast cancer, be it... We're all pushing for a cure. Treatment is fine, but everybody's pushing for a cure. So the research is the most important and most expensive part of it too. But if you watch Scott's story, it's a story of rising above that. It's a story of somebody actually giving a damn and giving him back that hope. The woman that's taking care of him now, that, that is amazing. This charity that Brian started I am ALS I want to celebrate him today on his birthday with this podcast I really want to think about him and his wife and kids today and I'm going to raise a cup of coffee here not a beer I'm a cup of coffee here's to you Brian you, you've done so much to give that dignity back to others to make that paradigm shift all these other people and uh, it's a lot more than most have ever done I wake up every day and there's certain people I, I always check out certain people uh, if I get the chance and have my phone near me or I can look it up I'm feeling down 
to get to get my bearings back on life. And it always begins with Brian Walsh as one of them. Here's a guy that can. He's starting to have a hard time talking and walking, and he's getting there. I mean, he's got his wheelchair and he's he's fighting. He's a fighter. He's one of them. I look at his inspiring posts every morning, and I think, you know, there's a very soulful, powerful message there. And he always ends the end of the night with, you know, good night, moon, thinking of the book. His kids are such a big part of his life, and I'm, I'm really hoping, not just for his sake, but for everybody else out there that's suffering through this horrible disease that he has, that a cure is found because there's all those moments in life. What touches me deeply is when my father had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He had the exact same strength and fight. And uh, I, had, I had no other choice but to say the old man was going to beat it. He'd gone through bypass surgery. He wasn't supposed to live through and uh, we sat and talked a lot. Sometimes I he needed his space, but I was always there for him. And I took my job and everything and set it aside, and even my writing. I, I devoted totally to my dad. This mind-numbingly, grindingly, horrible disease he was going through. Wanting a cure. And he wanted one thing. He wanted to see my sister graduate from college. Mm. <laughs> text message sorry he wanted uh hope and love and things my younger brother to be around and for for me but his main thing was uh see my sister graduate and he did but he passed away right after that because there was no cure for pancreatic cancer the funding is, and that has not been pushed enough. Advocacy was not there. You're in a situation, you're diagnosed with something that it's like, okay, do I go to this hospital or this hospital or this doctor or that? You know, you're not an expert on it. That's the power of what advocacy means. That's the power of it. The clock's always ticking at you. That's everything in life. Like no, None of us are getting out of this life. But I've, I've been through some really mind-numbing mind-numbing things. And if you don't think it's not hard on people, yeah, you don't want to think about it all the time. You know, every day there's people of some battle they're fighting. And if you sit and think about it all, it's, it's going to bring you down so, so much that you're not going to be able to function. You don't need to. But point of this the point of this is that uh, when you take the context of it when somebody is diagnosed with something and they don't have that advocacy they don't have an organization like what Brian has done with ALS you, you don't have your bearings you don't even know where to begin and then the disease has already taken that psychological victory over you. So I, I made myself a big part of my father's advocacy. 
as did the rest of my family. I was not the writer from the Laurel Highlands. None of that mattered. None of that bullshit mattered. What mattered, a lot of my readers reached out to me and gave me their thoughts and held by me. And that that really grounded me on what matters in life. I forget where I'm going with this. I'm just, just so emotional thinking about this because uh, issues like PTSD, even after my father passed away, I had a hard time with things like going into the store and buying a planter. I'm like, why do my feet not want to move? And I thought, oh, wow, okay, this goes back to reminding me of when I had to pick out an urn for my father. Um, yeah. And I had to work myself up to that. Because me, dealing as, with psychology, I know how to treat my own clients and I could be my own advocate. It's a very tough thing. But... When my sister was married, my father was not there to walk her down the aisle. That's a moment that you'll never get back. And uh, these are why we fight for people. These are why people like Brian are fighting, because he wants to walk his daughters down the aisle. He wants to beat this disease. And I 100% I think he'll do it. He'll do it. This guy is going to be back to being that handsome federal prosecutor again and with his wife and I want to see that. I started out doing charities back in high school. When I was just anybody else. Okay, anybody else. And then with uh, PFC Jessica Lynch when she was a POW, I sat there watching the news and thought, this could be my, my sister, this could be any other buddy I know that's over there fighting. 9-11 had just happened, and I started an organization with a friend of mine, Jessica's Candle, that uh, was very important to me, very important to a lot of people, uh, POWs. My father had been a POW in Korea, and I realized that that passion every person feels, whether you're famous or not, whether you're rich or poor or whatever. Giving that awareness is much more than any big drug company or any big person throwing their weight around. You're making a difference. You are being an advocate for every single person who has been through that. And it inspired me not, not to make money. It inspired me to give the money I have and my voice to organizations like the nonprofit I work for. I work for, I'm not going to name it, an amazing nonprofit that does a lot for, for youth. And without going into detail because of HIPAA laws and uh, laws of uh, privacy, many times, many times. Because I've worked this job about 18 years, I will come across a client, a former client at the store, that'll say, hey, wow, it's you. Uh, what you said to me made a difference in my life, and I really want you to meet my wife and my kids and tell you that 
just one thing you said mattered. Now, I'm always blown away because that's my riches right there. That's, that's I've invested a lot of money in the bank. Okay. Some people get their returns and stock profits and 401ks and escrow accounts and CDs or savings bonds, you name it. Me, I've put my time and money into that. And I've pushed for these charities for advocacy. I've pushed for a lot of historical stuff like the the uh, schooner porcupine are building up in Erie. Those are great things. And I've given money to Brian Walsh and helped raise money for him. And uh, Scott McGuire and Sarah Olson, other people like that. I've done it because they are incredible people in my life that I look to to keep grounded because they're in a fight of their lives. They have a dignity, beauty, and have taught me a lot about who I am in a way I can never get back. So, so to see them, like to see Brian turn 40 today, I just, just wanted to do a podcast and not totally dwell on all this negative stuff. I did the thing about writing in the beginning, trying to get this loaded up to, uh, I was going to do a bio on him and I thought, you know what, I have this all written up and it's nice, but, uh, it's not a term paper. <laughs> okay. So I can't, I quit that, but I want to wish him a happy 40th and his wife kids and I want to see 50 Brian we're aiming at 50 you're, you're going to make it to 50 we're going to beat this disease you are going to beat this disease and I stand by you 100% I love you brother you are a good man uh, you've, you're a fighter you fought for the little guy all your life and there are people listening you have made one hell of a difference my friend and uh yeah, I, I know we're going through this pandemic. I want people to please look up Brian's charity, IMALS, and please donate what you can to him. He does so much. Thank you.